Romans chapter 9 in your Bibles, if you would, please. Romans chapter 9, we're going to pick up where we left off uh, last time. And I believe I'll be able to complete the chapter tonight. And uh, I hope it's been a blessing to you. That's my prayer. Uh, Going verse by verse through here. And it's important not to rush it because this is where a lot of false doctrine comes from. And some of these false doctrines are making a real resurgence in the last days that you and I are living in. And they're telling you that the church has replaced Israel, which is the biggest crock of baloney you ever heard in your whole life. And they also tell you that somebody can't get saved. Some of the Calvinists will use these, uh, and and I'll admit it, confusing passages. The way this stuff is written, if you look at it without running the references, without comparing spiritual things to spiritual, without line upon line, precept upon precept, here a little, there a little, without context, if you just jump past all that stuff and get into being one of these guys that's a textual critic. Uh, We were talking with the guys about uh, expository preaching versus the other styles of preaching. And some of the styles of preaching that these guys do nowadays lend them to being critics. Uh, Textual preaching is not necessarily always bad, but a lot of the guys that believe in correcting the Bible and going back to the original languages to explain the English... Like textual preaching, they just dive in and then they go with word studies and they run off into a rabbit hole chasing down a word with multiple different definitions for it to try to tell you that the word you got in your Bible ain't accurate. Well, I mean, who's to say that this isn't an accurate translation of the Greek word when there's 10 different possible translations of one Greek word sometimes? In other words, what I'm trying to tell you is you have to trust God that when he inspired those guys to translate the Bible, that he promised he'd preserve his word from this generation forever and he preserved it. So the Bible you got in front of you is absolutely perfect. And whenever you take a verse or a passage and you pull it out of its context and you interpret that verse or passage based on your perception of that verse or passage without comparing spiritual things to spiritual, without looking at other passages of the Bible that aren't confusing, that are very clear, and then interpreting the confusing passages in light of the clear passages. When you begin to do that, all the confusing passages make tons of sense. And so God is not a Calvinist, all right? I don't care what the Calvinists think, God's not a Calvinist. If you die and go to hell, it is your own fault. Did you hear me? If you die and go to hell, it is because you chose not to trust Jesus Christ as your personal Savior. And since you chose not to trust Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, you bear the responsibility for the stupid decision you made and the stupidest decision. I'm not being mean right now. I actually care about somebody's eternal soul enough to say stuff that will make you think. The stupidest decision you could ever make is to reject Jesus Christ as your Savior and die and go to hell for eternity. I, 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 don't buy, I don't buy this Calvinist garbage. And the Bible doesn't teach that stuff. God didn't pick an eternity past who could and couldn't get saved and who was and wasn't going to get saved. That doesn't mean God didn't know the decisions all mankind would make. Elections according to foreknowledge. That doesn't mean God forechose them. The chosen, as we've already seen, is Israel, and the chosen, as we've already seen, is Jesus Christ. You want to get chosen, you get in Jesus Christ, and you become part of the elect, because Jesus Christ is God's elect. He's the chosen one. So we're looking at this thing in in Romans chapter 9, and we're looking at the proof text that the Calvinists use to tell you that God picks and chooses who does and doesn't get saved. And when you pick it up in verse number 17, if you would, for the scripture saith unto Pharaoh, I pointed that out to you last time, the scripture saith, 
The Bible's alive. You can't separate the Word of God from God Himself. So you say you love God and hate the Bible, you don't love God. You say you love God and criticize the Bible, you don't love God, you're criticizing God. For the Scripture saith unto Pharaoh, even for this same purpose have I raised thee up. What's the purpose? That I might destroy thee, damn thee, and put thee in hell for eternity, right? Well, that's how a Calvinist reads it. That's not the purpose that God raised him up for. The purpose that God raised him up for was that I might show my power in thee and that my name might be declared throughout all the earth. Father, we ask you to help us tonight. Bless your words, please, and give us a clear understanding and light on these things. Help us to be strong in doctrine, God, and to understand what it is you have for us. Thank you for these people that would come out here tonight in the middle of a work week and uh, school and everything else they got going on, having to get back up early in the morning and get back out the door to work, and some of them drove a long way to be here. God, thank you for that. Now, I pray you'd feed their souls and give them something that will help them in their walk with Jesus Christ and bless our efforts after the service, Lord, and help us to be a blessing, we pray in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. So God's purpose in raising up Pharaoh wasn't to damn Pharaoh, it was to glorify God. You guys remember Nebuchadnezzar? Keep your finger here in Romans chapter 9. Go back to Daniel chapter 4. We'll come right back here in a second. Daniel chapter 4. Nebuchadnezzar was another king that rebelled against God, didn't he? Is that this not great Babylon that I have built, strutting around there thinking he's something? And so God humbled him. And then look at Daniel chapter 4, verse 37. Now I had Nebuchadnezzar praise and extol and honor the king of heaven, all whose works are, are truth and his ways judgment. And those that, are, that walk in pride, he is able to abase. You know what Nebuchadnezzar did since he was a world leader? Once God humbled him, he repented and glorified God, and God's name was spread throughout all the earth. Why? Because Nebuchadnezzar got right. Go back to Romans chapter 9. Uh, Pharaoh, on the other hand, didn't. We ran all those references last time. Pharaoh kept making choices. God said, I will harden his heart because I know what he's going to do. And then God went ahead and gave him chance after chance after chance after chance. And he ignored God, and then God hardened his heart in order to use him for a specific purpose. One thing I want to mention to you, which is very, very important, you better be very careful about resisting God in your conscience. You hear me? God gave you a conscience for a reason. Now, hyperactive consciences can be affected uh, easily. Sensitive consciences can be affected easily by religion. So what I want is I want a very sensitive conscience, but I want that conscience sensitive to the Spirit of God based on the Word of God, not the feelings that I get or don't get, feelings that come and go, or religious movements. I want my conscience to be sensitive to God's Spirit based on what I learn about God from the Bible and what God expects of me in my conscience. Mom and Dad, don't ever teach your kids to kill their conscience. Actually, teach them what it is to have a sensitive conscience. Ask God for wisdom to get it through to your kids and then make sure you capitalize on those moments that God will give you to help teach them to have a sensitive conscience. You live in a day and age where people's consciences are killed. You watch stuff as born-again Christians that love Jesus Christ, that believe the King James Bible, that witness, that give, that come out on a Wednesday night to church. You watch stuff that 20, 30, 40 years ago, people wouldn't be able to sleep until they got on their knees and asked God to forgive them what came into their eyes. And you sit there just thinking nothing of it because you're so inundated with it nowadays. Our consciences have been killed. Be very careful about that. 
Because if you deaden your conscience, you're on a really, really bad path with the judgment of God. Pharaoh deadened his conscience. Now look at verse number 18, Romans 9, 18. Therefore he hath mercy on whom he will have mercy, and whom he will he hardeneth. Well, see, there it is. A Calvinist says God picks who to have mercy on, and then God picks who to harden. But that's jumping to conclusions. Look back at verse number 16 in Romans 9. So that it is not of him that willeth, nor of him that runneth, but of God that showeth mercy. Verse 16 explains verse 19. Here's how, because it, it may not be quite obvious to you as of yet. Here's how. Think about Cain. Cain came to God with an offering, right? God said, I didn't ask for that kind of offering. So God rejected Cain's offering. Abel came with an offering and gave God the offering God wanted, and God accepted that offering. I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy, and I won't on who I don't. And I won't have mercy on Cain, because Cain wants me to accept him based on his rules, but Abel's looking at my rules, and Abel's stepping into line with what I said, and I'll have mercy on that man. Abel needed mercy just like Cain did. That same thing goes all the way down through your Bible. That's Esau and Jacob. We already talked about him. Why didn't Esau find mercy? I mean, didn't he seek a place of repentance carefully with tears, begging God, please? He didn't want to play according to God's rules. He didn't want the birthright and the responsibility that came with it. He wanted the blessing. But Jacob said, I'll take the birthright and the responsibility that comes with it. I'll take the blessing too. And I'm going to wrestle with that angel and not let him go until he blesses me all night long. I'll never, I, I will absolutely sacrifice my quality of life to get a blessing from Almighty God because these things are important to me and I care about something bigger than myself. See the difference? So whom he will have mercy, he has mercy. And whom he will, he hardeneth. He chose to have mercy on Jacob. Did Jacob need mercy? Did Esau need mercy? God said, forget it, Esau. Because Esau kept trying to force God to fit into Esau's view of what God should be. Is that making sense to you? You know what generation you're living in? You're living in a generation of Christians that want the God they want and won't take the God of the Bible. Well, God is love. They know just enough Bible to self-destruct. Well, God is love, so love is love. And love is God. And if I'm loving, it's God. So any kind of perversion is God if I'm loving because God is love. Don't judge me. Judge not that you be not judged. It's all grace and love and grace and love, but there's no, there's no reality of the God of the Bible. There's no reality of context. There's no reality of that same God as a holy God. That same God as a judging God. That same God as a righteous God. So you can't embrace one side of God and refuse the other side and refuse the rules and insist that God blesses you based on your view of what God is. That's the problem. Now looking at verse 19, that should make more sense to you. So it's not of him in verse 16 that willeth. I don't care how bad you, you want to be this great Christian. If you won't follow the word of God and align yourself with what God says it takes to be a good Christian, you're not a good Christian. You got a bunch of people that are Christians without a Bible. Yeah. No, you're not. It's not a him that willeth or of him that runneth, but a God that showeth mercy. 
which explains verse 19, Thou wilt say then unto me, Why doth he yet find fault for who hath resisted his will? So when you're looking at this thing, you've got to understand that God's will is that you and I get in line with God. So verse 19, a Calvinist looks at it. Now, now try, to, try to follow me on this. A Calvinist looks at verse 19 as a proof text. Verse 19 is actually the antithesis of their proof text. Verse 19 is saying, why are you finding fault with God? Who, who, th- then thou shalt say unto me. Why doth he yet find fault for who hath resisted his will? Nay, but thou, O man, nay, but O man, who art thou that repliest against God? Shall the thing formed say to him that formed it, Why hast thou made me thus? Now watch this. You've got to follow this. Hath not the potter power over the clay of the same lump want to, ma- uh, to make one vessel unto honor and another to dishonor? All right, so we've got to look at this potter and clay and figure out what he's talking about. Because if you just read this for face value and you don't run the other references, you can see where Calvinists get where they're saying, can't you? You know what's stupid to me? I can't stand when I hear people get into doctrinal debates as Christians and then they refuse to give credit to the other person's point of view. I know some Calvinists. They're not stupid. Actually, pretty brilliant. Actually, some of the smartest theologians out there are Calvinists. So if you just be ignorant about it and just do this circular reasoning stuff, you don't give any credit to our position. you got to explain that the, the trick of the trade is to take a tricky text like the one we're in and refuse to interpret that passage based on other passages. But what a prophecy of the Scripture is not any, of any private interpretation. If I interpreted Romans 9 based on Romans 9 privately, I could come out a Calvinist. Is that making sense? Yeah. <gasps> I'm not a Calvinist. I don't think it's saying what they say it's saying because I compare Scripture with Scripture. Verse 21, Hath not the potter power over the clay of the same lump? Wait a minute. Of the same lump. Not of different lumps. There's a lump. There's a lump. I'll be respectful. There's a lump. There's a lump. There's a lump. I'll be respectful. There's a lump. Just being nice to the ladies, trying to be gentlemen, you know. Folks, we're all walking, talking dirt balls, right? You were formed out of the dust of the ground. So that's what you are as a walking, talking dirt ball. You're a lump. Watch what the potter potter does with one lump. The potter power over the clay of the same lump to make one vessel unto honor and another unto dishonor. Now, Now, remember Nebuchadnezzar, right? Nebuchadnezzar at one point was a vessel of dishonor, wasn't he? What did he become later? A vessel to honor. Pharaoh was given an opportunity to show the glory and power of God to the whole world by saying, hey, I'm Pharaoh. This man came in here with a backbone like a telephone pole and said, the Lord said, let my people go. And the Spirit of God spoke through that man. You're letting Israel go. Now go, 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 go uh, get the armies going, start packing stuff up and get those people down to that river because God said, let them go, Egyptians. And that's the God of the, of the, of the Bible. That's the God of the universe and we're going to obey him. You think that would have brought glory to God? Yeah. And put away all your false gods while you're at it. 
Because when you mimicked what that man did with the rod, that rod ate up those rods, it's obvious who's the imitator and who's the real thing. It's obvious who's the right light and who's the false light. So get rid of this dark light around here. That, would have brought, that was God's goal, wasn't it? Didn't we see it in the passage? The same lump. Rather than becoming a vessel unto honor, Pharaoh became a vessel unto dishonor. Haven't I mentioned to you recently, it's your choice. You can either be an example or an illustration. I'd much rather be an example. Because, man, I, don't, I haven't been at it that long, but I've been at it long enough to, boy, I would sure hate to be an illustration in some preacher's message. I'd sure hate for people to run into my daughters 20 years from now and say, how's your dad doing? And have them put their head down and be like, why do you got to ask? I don't want to be an illustration. I want this lump to be an example. And let me tell you something about the potter. He can make, he, and only he, can make this lump an example. But I'll tell you what, if I don't want to follow him and play by his rules and do it his way and submit myself to him and humble myself before him and follow him and honor his word and honor his son and love his people and do what he tells me to do, he'll make this lump an illustration. Listen, I got a lot of pride. My friends will forgive me that. My enemies will love hearing me say that. Just as much as the rest of you. My pride is not so precious to me that I can't bow my knee to Almighty God and say, God, I'm wrong and I'm sorry and I'm asking you to forgive me and I want to get it right and I want to be moldable, soft, pliable clay in your hands. Will you do something with me in spite of me? Nebuchadnezzar had to learn that the hard way. Pharaoh never learned it. All right, let's look at this potter thing. Go back to Isaiah chapter 45. Isaiah 45 verse 9. Now watch this. And guys, I, you, I know you're the Wednesday night crowd and I get all that stuff and I respect that and you know that. You know I love you and I appreciate you and I think the world of you. But I'd be willing to bet you in this, with this many people in the room like we got tonight, um, I don't know a number, but there's definitely some people in here pushing back on God. I guarantee it. Listen, serving God for whatever reason has a lot of pushback to it. If it's not you personally and your flesh personally, it's your friends or it's your family. We have a lot of people in this church that wind up in this church and they lose a bunch of friends and a bunch of family for coming here. We had people come here and say, they say when they get here, like I've been, I've been, no God wanted me here years ago. And I told my pastor finally that I'm coming here. And the pastor said, and this isn't like, this isn't, you know, necessarily even anybody you'd know. And the pastor said, oh, if you're going over to that church, I hope you're ready to be put on a shelf. I hope he plugs you in and gives you something to do. Because he didn't let anybody do anything. You know what? 
First of all, I'm going to let it go because adults don't slap children. And then secondly, <laughs> and secondly, I'm not here trying to hook everybody up with a position to manipulate you and make you feel important to get you in church. I'm here to feed the flock of God and to try to do my very best to study my Bible and give you what you need so you can go out there and live your life and then come back in here and gather up together and, and sit in a safe, warm place and have the Word of God opened up and have God deal with your heart and help you a little bit and send you back out there to keep going through the rest. See, you're, you're supposed to... I don't get this stuff, but I don't understand this stuff. I don't understand the concept of why preachers feel like they got to like, like hook everybody up all the time. If God has work for us to do, you know what God will do? He'll open up doors. Hey, you know what God's been doing lately? He's been opening up doors. These guys that are called to preach, they're not sitting back going, I wonder if Pastor Reagan just hooked me up. They're like, hey, God opened up a door. That's a blessing. So I just want to say that if you really want to do something, just be faithful because God's given opportunities and the opportunities will come up. We've got something for you to do right after church tonight. It's not a position. It's not a title. But it's something to do for the Lord. Isn't that a blessing? All right, talking about pushing back on God. Don't do that. When you come and start trying to serve God, you'll get enough resistance without personally stiffening your neck and hardening your heart and striving with the one that made you. It says, let the potsherd, verse number 9, woe to him that striveth with his maker. Let the potsherd strive with the... Let the potsherd strive with the potsherds of the earth. Shall the clay say to him that fashioneth, what, fashioneth it, What makest thou? Or thy work he hath no hands? Woe unto him that saith unto his father, What begattest thou? Or to the woman, What hast thou brought forth? Thus saith the Lord, the Holy One of Israel and his Maker, Ask me of things to come concerning my sons and concerning the work of my hands. Command ye me. I have made the earth and created man upon it. I've even, I've, I, I, even my hands have stretched out, out the heavens, and all their host have I commanded. You know what God's done with you? He's made you what you are. I don't care what gifts you want. It doesn't matter what gift you want. I want to be a, so what? What did God make you? Be what God made you. And don't push back on it. Because when you push back on God after what He's doing in your life or wants to do in your life, you're resisting the potter. Go to Jeremiah, ch- um, uh, yeah, Jeremiah chapter 18. Jeremiah 18. My dad gave me these passages because I was, and, and this isn't a joke, I'm not putting myself down right now, okay? So um, uh, I just think it's a good example, but I was 15 years old when I was the exact same height I am right now. I was five foot six at 16. 15. My dad's 6'2", my dad's brothers are all tall, my cousins are 6'6", six, 6'2", six, six, I think the shortest one is like 5'10". And then there's me, I'm the oldest of all, the, all my generation. All my dad's brothers are over 6 foot. Man, I was 15, I was 5'6", and everybody's like, man, he's going to be a monster, because I was going to be, you know, built like the Camaradas and tall like the Reagans, you know. And I just kept checking. 16, kept checking. 17, my dad kept saying, you could keep growing until you're 21, bud. Married your mom at 20, and she had to buy me a new pair of pants because I, I grew another inch after we got married. Kept checking. I was done. Don't tell me it was from lifting weights, okay? Because I wasn't a power lifter back then. The weights weren't enough to do anything. It was like, damage your growth plates. Like, 
It was God. You know, my dad gave me two verses in the New Testament. He said, who by taking thought can add one cubit to his stature? My dad gave me that verse. It wasn't the verse I wanted. He said, quit worrying about it. Thinking about it ain't going to make you grow. You are what God wants you to be. By the way, I'm happy I am the height I am. I've seen God's hand in it. I know I'm supposed to be what I am. And I'm not embarrassed of it, and I'm not that short anyhow, amen? There's some shorter guys. I like it when I get around them. I'm like, hey, man, how you doing? <laughs> but as a boy, it bothered me. Maybe I'm helping some of you kids. You can't do nothing about it. And who are you to tell God he was wrong? Yeah. It is what it is. You in Jeremiah chapter 18? Look at verse 1. The word which came to Jeremiah from the Lord, saying... Arise and go down to the potter's house, and there I will cause thee to hear my words. You see what God does? Now, I want you to see this. This is important. How is God going to mold you? With the words. You know what church is supposed to be? It's supposed to be the potter's house. Not here to make you little Reaganites. That's no such thing. BBCites. People say stupid stuff. They say dumb stuff like, oh, that's a cult. You don't even, you don't even have, you don't even have the, you can't even give me a definite, I'm trying to be nice, but it's not easy for me. You can't tell me a definition of a cult. I can give you the definition of a cult. I know exactly what it is right off the top of my head. You don't know what a cult is. We're not a cult when we make God the authority. And when we open up the Bible and show everybody exactly what we're saying and we turn and we explain and we answer questions and we're open to questions and we don't get intimidated by questions and we don't get mad when you disagree. You have a right to be wrong. (laughs) No, really. (laughs) It's not a cult. You know what it is? It's a place where we gather to let the words of God be what they are. You can take issue with me all you want, but my job is to give you the word of God. That's all my job is. I promise you this much. I will pray hard and I will work hard at never using the Bible to try to beat people up. Never making it personal. I work hard at that. I've figured out it doesn't work anyways. You know how I figured it out? I made the mistake. You put a sniper scope on the rifle and you drop it right on. I'll point at Jesse because I don't think I can hurt his feelings very easy. You put it right on him, man, and you just make it as clear as you can be and you squeeze the trigger. And you know what I've seen the devil do? I've seen the devil hit somebody all the way over here. And I've seen, not Jesse, but the person I was aiming at, when I squeeze the trigger, turn around and look across the sanctuary to see if so-and-so is getting the point. what I figured out? It's pointless. It's literally pointless. If somebody doesn't want to hear what God has to say, then there's no point to even trying to shoot at them. I was standing back there one day, and as everybody's leaving the church, one woman is still with us and is an absolute sweetheart. She come by and she said, Preacher, I'm so sorry. I said, Why? She said, Because I asked if I could do this particular thing for the, for the, for the fourth Sunday lunches, and I, I wasn't trying to take over. I wasn't trying to be it. And I was like, What are you talking about? You've been nothing but a blessing. You have the right spirit. You've never been that way. Uh, Somebody else was trying to take over and hijack everything. You know what I figured out? When somebody's being an idiot in church, I just need to say, hey, can I talk to you real quick? 
Because sometimes they don't even mean to be, by the way. Sometimes they can get fixed. We're not here trying to beat you up or come after you or make it personal. We're here trying to give you the Word of God because the Word of God is where God will take you and God will work out all your rough edges and God will form you into what God wants you to be. And to be honest with you, I don't even know what that is for all of you. I'm figuring out one day at a time what God wants me to be. I've figured some stuff out, but i got a lot more to figure out. Look at verse 3. Then I went down to the potter's house, and behold, he wrought a work on the wheels. Now watch this. And the vessel that he made of clay was marred in the, potter, in the hand of the potter. That's me. That's you. So you know what he does? <laughs> so he made it again another vessel, as it seemed good to the potter to make. You know what God does? God takes a man, Brother Lynch said. That's the call. God breaks a man. Then God makes a man. And I thought, man, that's really good. And I thought I went through my first breaking and I know what it was and when it was and where it was and all that stuff. I know all the circumstances and I thought, glad I got that over with. You know what I figured out? That's a cycle in the Christian life. That God has to constantly keep breaking us. You know why? Oh, wretched man that I am. You want God to keep using you, God has to keep putting you on that wheel and breaking you down and building you back up again. And he does it through the word of God. Verse 5, Then the word of the Lord came unto me, saying, O house of Israel, cannot I deal with you as this potter? Saith the Lord, Behold, as the clay is in the potter's hand, so are ye in my hand, O house of Israel. At one instance I shall speak concerning a nation, see that? And concerning a kingdom, to pluck up and to pull down and to destroy it. Now watch. If that nation, which one? The one I spoke that I was going to destroy... Now, how does, how does Calvinism fit in this? If that nation, against whom I have pronounced, turn from their evil, I will repent of the evil that I thought to do unto them. And at what instance I shall speak concerning a nation uh, and concerning a kingdom to build and to plant it, if it do evil in my sight, that it obey not my voice, then I will repent of the good wherewith I said I would benefit them. Same nation, same vessel. Is this making sense? Yes, sir. It was their choice. God says, I can use you for honor or I can use you for dishonor. Either way, I'm going to get glory out of your life one way or the other. Man, we're going to see it on Sunday night, Revelation 19. God's getting glory on Jesus Christ coming back and slaughtering hundreds of thousands and millions of people and God gets glory out of that. You know what else God gets glory out of? You getting on your knees and asking Jesus Christ to forgive your sins and save your soul. Which way do you want to glorify God? You know how God gets glory out of you? God gets glory out of you by coming out of your way to come out on a Wednesday night and get in church and be here and all the rest of that stuff and sit there in the pew and God gives you an opportunity to get something from the Word of God and have some fellowship one with another and then go back. God gets glory out of that. You want to drop out of church and quit on God because you get bitter at Him or mad at Him or whatever else. You're too lazy and too concerned about the things of this world to be able to make it out to church or to be able to serve God at all. God can get glory out of your life however He wants. There's an illustration. I don't want my kids to say, I don't want to be like my dad. I don't want my kids to say, I don't want to turn out like that. 
God's glorified because they go the other direction. It's because I'm an illustration of what not to be. I don't want any younger preachers in this church to be like, yeah, I don't want to turn out like a preacher. I'd rather be an example. Look at another passage. Go to 2 Timothy chapter 2. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 9. Verse 19, excuse me. Second Timothy 2.19, Nevertheless, the foundation of God standeth sure, having uh, this seal, the Lord knoweth them that are His. And let everyone that nameth the name of Christ depart from iniquity. Now watch this. But in a great house, there are not only vessels of gold and silver, but also of wood and of earth. They're all in the house. The Lord knows them that are His. You might not be able to tell whether or not they're gods by looking at them, but God can tell. Like Brother Joe said, the, the, uh, probably 50% or even more than that of the people he ministers to downtown that are having some uh, addiction issues and all that stuff are, are church brats. You can't tell by looking at them. But God knows which ones down there are his and which ones aren't. I mean, I'm just saying that because some of you could wind up down there. You think it's no big deal. It's funny, you know, smoking weed. You know, everybody's doing it at school and all the pills going around. And, oh, it's just a joke, you know. Their friends will start you on littler stuff, by the way. They'll get you started on just stuff. This, this will just give you a buzz. This will make you dizzy. That's how that, that's how that, that conscience deadening works. And by the time you're a teenager, you're messing around. And by the time you're in your early 20s, you can look like you're 40. And by the time you're 40, you're dead if you make it to 40. In a great house, there's vessels of gold and silver, but also of wood and of earth, some to honor and some to dishonor. Now watch this, verse 21. If a man therefore purge himself from these, he shall be a vessel unto honor, sanctified, meet for the master's use, and prepared unto every good work. You see that? If a man purge himself, it's a choice. It's not, well, why did God make me this way? I was born this way. Do you, guys, do you guys get that in Romans 9? That's the, who are you to reply against God saying, why hath God made me thus? Well, I was born this way. No, you weren't. Right. Nowadays, they're born a girl and saying they're actually a boy. Or they're born a boy and they're saying they're actually a girl. Which way were you born? You see how messed up it is when you start pushing God away? There's no end to the madness. Back to Romans chapter 9. I want you to see Romans 7 real quick, actually. Go to Romans 7. Look at verse, uh, verse 21. I find then a law that when I would do good, evil is present with me. Same lump. For I delight in the law of God after the inward man. But I see another law in my members. Same lump. Warring against the law of my mind and bringing me into captivity to the law of sin which is in my members. O wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from the body of this death? I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord, so then with the mind I myself serve the law of God, but with the flesh the law of sin. Same lump. It's what you yield to, right? We already talked about that. So in Romans chapter 9, Pharaoh yielded to the wrong thing and got the destruction. Now let's get back over here to Romans chapter 9, and believe it or not, this rest of this is going to go fast. 
Now, here's another trick that you got to watch out for. In verse 22, this is how it's read. This is how it's interpreted. God, willing to show His wrath and to make His power known, endured with much long suffering the vessels of wrath fitted to destruction. That's how it's read to you. You know what I have circled in my Bible? What if? Do you see how, you see how tricky that is? That's a what if statement. That's not a, that's not a commandment. That's a, that's a, okay, you want to philosophize? Let's philosophize. What if God? And when you cross-reference that verse and don't privately interpret it, you find out that God's long-suffering, according to 2 Peter, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. So you have to privately interpret verse 22 to be a Calvinist. You have to, you have to, you have to purposefully disregard what God said about Bible study. And Bible interpretation. And just, well, what does it mean to you? What does it mean to you? What does it mean to your small group leader? Be careful. She's probably demon-possessed. She probably believes the law saves you and all kinds of stuff. Verse 23. And that he might make known the riches of his glory on the vessels of mercy, which he had afore prepared unto glory. And praise God for that, huh? God's long-suffering with them. Christians aren't very long-suffering with the lost world, but God is. So when you get bitter because bad things happen to good people and bad people seem to have it good, you've got to realize they're heaping up for themselves the judgment of God. It ought to break your heart that they're getting old and happy and healthy. It ought to break your heart. It ought to bring you to tears to see them living a long, happy, healthy, rich, affluent life. Because the longer they go down that road rejecting God and rejecting the truth, the more arrogant and proud-filled they get, know-it-all they get, and go off into old age like that, and then stand before God, their hell's going to be hot. But we sit back and, well, it's just not fair that bad things happen to me, and here I am giving and working, and I got demoted, and then these filthy people are are committing fornication, and that's how they got the promotion, and I'm just not going to do that as a Christian. I'm suffering for Jesus. It's not fair. God's going, yeah, yeah, you know, you you understand this, folks? Listen to this. The closest you're ever going to get to hell is in the here and now if you're born again. And the closest they're ever going to get to heaven is in the here and now if they're lost. Man, if this life is the closest I'm ever going to get to heaven, you can have it. And this is literally, this is the closest I'm ever going to get to hell. Isn't that a blessing? Just remember that when all your problems are just beating your brains out. I'll say, well, this is all the hell I'm ever going to suffer, so let's just get it over with now. You know, don't kill yourself or nothing. You know, let God do it in his time. But I'm just saying, this is as bad as it gets for you, Christian. What a blessing, man. Verse 24, even us who hath, whom he hath called, not of the Jews only, but also the Gentiles. As he saith also in Osi, that is Hosea, I'll call them my people, which were not my people, and her beloved, which was not beloved. All right, so that's, that can be applied a couple of different ways. That can be applied to the Gentile that was rejected in the Old Testament, but is accepted now. And we'll see this as we keep going. The Jews rejected now, but will be accepted again. Follow that? Jew was accepted in the Old Testament. Gentile was rejected. You become the bride of Jesus Christ. Now you're accepted. Israel's rejected. 
But when you get called out, Israel that is rejected is going to be accepted again. Verse 26, And it shall come to pass that the place <clears throat> where it was said unto them, Ye are not my people, there shall they be called the children of the living God. Isaiah also crieth concerning Israel, Though the number of the children of Israel be as the sand of the sea, a remnant shall be saved. Now, notice this in verse 27. Isaiah crieth concerning Israel. Concerning Israel. Concerning Israel. You guys... That's not the church. If you're going to say this is the promises of Israel given to the church, you're on crack. You're just making up your own rules. Where do you get that from? You cannot honestly read a Bible and say that's what that means. I'm pretty sure that Almighty God can say what He means, and I know He means what He says. Period. End of the discussion. Look at verse 28. For He will finish the work and cut it short in righteousness. Because a short work will the Lord make upon the earth. Now you say, oh, it's been going on for 6,000 years. That's only long to you. A day with the Lord is as a thousand years, and a thousand years is as one day. So let me ask you a question. If you're over 20, how long does a week take? I mean, look back last Wednesday. Can you believe it's Wednesday again already? Now, if you're over 40, how long does a week take? No. That's what they say, but I guarantee you that's just not happening. I don't, I don't know how it works, but somehow something weird is happening. There's a, another dimension that you enter into. Uh, I'm not over 60 yet, but if you're over 60, how long does a week take? Ain't long, is it? Ain't it funny the older you get, the more time seems to speed up? Can you imagine if you're over 80, does a week feel long? No? If you're over 80, does a week feel long? Not enough. Not long enough. Listen, could you imagine if you're eternal? If you're in eternity already. He said a short work. You know what he meant? A short work. By the way, I talked to Grandma Ferguson today. She said, I'm going to be sitting there watching live stream giggling, and I want you to know I'm always giggling, watching you giggling. I said, did you know the last time when you said, go get him, Tiger, as I was heading up to the platform that my mic was on and it went over the live stream and the whole church heard it? And she's just busting out laughing. But she said she loves you all and she's sorry she's not here and she wants to be back with us and she's going to keep praying for me to go get him, Tiger. So that, she brings a smile to my face, man. She's a blessing. All right. Uh, verse uh, 28. He'll finish the work and cut it short in righteousness because a short work will the Lord make upon the earth. And as Isaiah said before, except the Lord of Sabbath had left us a seed. See it? He said it before. We had been as Sodom and been made like unto Gomorrah. God left them a seed. God did not wipe them out entirely. So then where do these guys get this that God's done with Israel? The point is, God ain't done yet. What shall we say then, that the Gentiles, which followed not after righteousness, have attained to righteousness? Even the righteousness, which is of faith. Now watch this. I'm telling you this is important because you still have these people out there that don't know too much Bible but think they do. 
They quote stuff from all over the place without understanding context, without understanding rightly dividing, without being able to compare Scripture with Scripture. And they'll try to tell you that you're still under the law, but I guess they've never read the book of Galatians. I guess they don't understand Romans. So don't buy into that stuff. You ain't under the law. Now watch. The righteousness that we have, we got by faith. Verse 31, but Israel which followed after the law of righteousness... See that? They're keeping the Old Testament law. Hath not attained to the law of righteousness. You think you keep the law? You think you keep the law? You think salvation is about the law? You lost your mind. I mean, the Lord made that so clear it's not even funny. Well, I've never committed adultery. He said if a man looks at a woman of lust after he committed adultery in his heart, you want to start talking about the law? You want to start talking about how holy and clean and just and righteous you are? You messed the law up. Jesus Christ fulfilled the law and He is the end of, to righteousness. For anybody that trusts Jesus Christ, He's the end of the law. There's no more law for you. you got to get in Christ. That's the only way to match up to the law. you got to have imputed righteousness given to you. Verse 32. Why did they not attain? Wherefore? See that? Because they sought it not by faith, but as it were by the works of the law. For they stumbled at that stumbling stone. So here's the catch. People are obsessed with works. Yes. That is why the modern church model is get them in, get them busy. Because they get a hook in you. Well, what about your kids? You have a class. What about your kids? Like, this person just got saved. They know no, they've never been discipled. They know no Bible at all. And you're making them youth pastors and Sunday school teachers and, and singles leaders and, 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 and home group captains and all the rest of this stuff. You're not even vetting these people. What are they teaching the people? Well, I'll tell you what it'll do, though. When you get them in and you give them a job, you make them somebody as fast as you can, they won't leave. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I'd rather get a bunch of people that come here because they say, you know what, that's where the book is preached and Jesus Christ is glorified and I'm getting fed and I'm growing spiritually and I'm going to grow in the Lord and let God use me when, where, and how God wants to use me. Amen. That's what I'd rather have. Yeah, but works is what get people going, man. They like it. People like feeling spiritual. Yeah. Me, me, me. It, yeah, it makes you feel good about yourself. So the Jews stumbled by the works of the law, for they stumbled at that stumbling stone. Well, what was that? As it is written, Behold, I lay in Sion a stumbling stone and rock of offense. Jesus Christ is offensive. Yeah. You understand that? That's why somebody thinks they have to have the law because they're offended at Jesus Christ. How dare you tell me that only you can save me? How dare you tell me I'm not good enough? How dare you think you know more than me? How dare you think you're better than me? That's what you're saying to Jesus Christ when you say you're thinking you're keeping the law. Faith plus works. Not in this dispensation. He writes the rules. And right now you put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ alone for salvation and that's it. And he's offensive to a Jew. Yeah. And he's offensive to a lost person that says, yeah, that's sin. 
What? I'm a good person. Don't drink, don't smoke, don't chew. I go to church every time the doors are open. Say faithful to my wife. I work a job. I'm a good person. No, you're not. There's none righteous, no, not one. How dare you? Okay, stumble at that stumbling stone and stumble right over that stumbling stone and land smack dab in the pit of hell. Or accept Jesus Christ as your Savior and He becomes your chief cornerstone and you start building something solid, something real with your life, man, and it's the best thing in the world. And when the storms come and hit you and the winds blow and the rains fall, that house stands, man. Now watch it and we're done. Whosoever believeth on him shall not be ashamed. Now, that is a great way to end Romans chapter 9. You know why? Because tomorrow morning, gentlemen, when you go to work, ladies, when you go to work, kids, when you go to school, you know what this whole world is wired to do? It's wired to make sure you're ashamed of Jesus Christ. You know why there's so much pressure on you right now to not talk about the Lord and not be one of those Jesus people and not be one of those Bible thumpers? You know why there's so much pressure on you right now? Because the day is coming when you're going to realize and they're going to realize the best decision you ever made in your life was Jesus Christ. If you've believed on Him, that, that verse doctrinally is saying this to you, if you believed on Him, you are not going to be ashamed of it when you die. That will be the best decision. No, I ain't ashamed of him. Are you kidding me? I ain't going to hell right now. I ain't ashamed of him at all. So if we're going to be that way when we get there, let's try to get a little bit of that going in our lives now. All right, we're done with Romans chapter 9. I